This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, this week we talk about living booger stories, bigger Bigger stories, should I keep going? (laughs) And teaching our kids to do the same. Rachel's crush on John Elway and how David's booger flicking won her Hey, David. Hey, Rachel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Yeah? I'm doing really well. What you up to? Well, I'm going to just jump in with my word of the week. Okay. It's snow. Ooh, We got to experience an inch and a half of snow. We're not in Atlanta. (laughs) We're on like a, we're recording out of town, if you will, in northern Georgia. And it snowed an inch and a half today, and it was fantastic. And it's probably all gone now. It Exactly. It is all gone. I think it's melted. For our Midwestern friends, we know this sounds really ridiculous. For our Colorado friends, we know. We're aware. This is crazy. Um, however, But for, for our us, Florida fans, <laughs> they're like, whoa, inch yeah. and a half. <laughs> exactly. And our folks in Northern California, hey, <laughs> we got That's snow. Right. We do not get a lot of snow here. I can't remember the last time we had an accumulation of snow in Atlanta. Yeah. It's been a few years, I believe. Yeah. And uh, it was fun to see it. It came down heavily for like an hour and a half. It was fun. Yeah. And it's so great because we're away this weekend uh, without our kids. We're doing a training up in North Georgia, like you mentioned. And so there's something really like lovely and romantic that... Like, we don't have to get any kids dressed to go out into the snow. We can just watch it fall, and it's snuggly. Yeah, no snow boats. Exactly. No whatever. Wait, did you just say snow boats? I think I said boots. Well. Snow boats? I think it's questionable. Snow boots. (laughs) Snow boots. Um, I did feel a little bit bad, because apparently they got five minutes of flurries in Atlanta, and we're up here with all the snow, and the kids missed it. Well, and the kids were ecstatic about their, like... Missing us? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> they were ecstatic about their flurries. Yeah, which that's right. Which goes to show we don't get snow much. No, we don't. Okay, my word of the week? Yeah, hit me. Um, Wait. Uh, W-A-I-T, W-A-E-I-G-H-T. Wait. Which wait? Tom Waits, the singer? <laughs> Did you just... No, I accidentally mumbled. W a i g h t. No, I mumbled. Oh, w e i g h t. Who's smarter in the room now? Who's smarter than the fifth grader? <laughs> Not David. W e i g h t. Like heaviness. Heaviness. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. So we're um, away for the weekend, like I said, and we are at a training actually for foster care. For us to join the foster care system as foster parents. Exactly. Um, if they'd let us, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully they don't listen to our podcast. <laughs> Maybe like those jokers. Absolutely not. You're done. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's this like super intense training that we're going through for the weekend. It doesn't necessarily commit us, um, but it does certainly open our eyes to what's happening in the city of Atlanta and nationwide with the foster care system, um, and and gets us. Um, it, it lets us understand what it means to be a foster family. Yeah. So what's the weight you're feeling? 
Oh, the burden is heavy. The, um, the amount of kids in the United States who need homes is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the lack of homes available is phenomenal. Yeah, I think they said four hundred to five hundred thousand kids in the system nationally, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and fifteen thousand in Atlanta, or in Georgia. Yeah. Excuse me, fifteen thousand in Georgia, and there are only four thousand homes. Yeah. So um, the statistics, when you start looking into foster care, um, they just they call us into it. It like screams my name, yeah, and our name. So, yeah. Well, it's a good process, and I think we'll unpack that more as we get further down that yeah. path. I even feel nervous, like, talking about it right now. Cause Feels it, too soon. It's too soon. Too soon. Too soon, yeah. Well, a slightly lighter subject is we got out early today because of the snow. They had early release <laughs> from our training. <laughs> okay, and Midwestern friends, Northeastern. You don't have to be embarrassed that you live in the <laughs> South. Like, it's just no. the way it is. We don't get snow. I grew People... up in this I in know. a state, though, where we would have, like, a We don't have snow plows. And we would go to school, All you right. know. You went to school with a foot of snow that day? I think. I don't know. I mean, I lived in I New Jersey, we and we did. It was, I mean, you got six inches. They were closing school for a day, at really? least. Yeah, because you got to get the plows out there. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess it depended on what time it snowed. You know, like if yeah. they had time to plow everything. And whatever. I mean, I know you went both ways uphill barefoot. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> like real people. <laughs> anyway, if you're in a real state that gets real snow, you can make fun of us on our Facebook page yep, or feel our free. Facebook group. Um, well, be kind of nice. I got a video. Maybe we can post it <laughs> on the Facebook group and people can laugh at how little snow it really is. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, but we got out early to Smissel, and so we had some free time, and we were pretty exhausted because it was intense. Um, so we watched Netflix for an hour and a half. Yeah. And we finished Parks and Rec. It was uh, awesome. It was awesome, yes. Uh, so all seven seasons we've been watching this fall oh, and for, winter. Yeah, I think it might be longer, but... Um, so, one... I loved it. It's one of my maybe top, certainly top five shows we've ever watched really? all the way through. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's up there. What are your other in your top five? I don't, I haven't thought about it a lot. The first three seasons of Arrested Development, like the ones that were actually on Fox, were really good. And we watched through those right before we had our second child. And so it's a really sweet time in our life. You yeah. Were, you were literally nine months pregnant. Literally. <laughs> um, the Office is up there. Uh, Frasier, which we watched all nine or 10 or 11 seasons of and that. that one was right before we adopted, adopted I think. Yeah. yeah. That it was right before after, our third son. Yeah. So that's a really good one. Clearly when Rachel's pregnant or expecting a child. <laughs> when there's stress. At some point, we yeah. just like plow through an entire season of something. So our stat of the week is going to be about uh, TV shows. Awesome. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Um, and when we finish a show, which doesn't happen that often, um, we watched The Office like last year, and we watched Parks and Rec this year. Um, there's always this sense of like loss because you enter into this world, this story, these relationships, um, and you feel like you know them, which maybe is a sad commentary on my life. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it ends, and there's some sort of denouement or some sort of like foreshadowing in the case of Parks and Rec, it like shows you what's going to happen in the 2020s. It's, yeah. it's a fun ending. But um, it just reminds me uh, about this idea of living out a story um, and that mm. we're living out a story, a real story that's more important than a TV show. Right. Um, and that our kids are living out individual stories and they're while they're with us, they're living out a joint story. They're part of our family's story. And so I think mm. 
what we want to talk about today is this idea of helping our kids live a better story, a more meaningful story, a bigger story, as opposed mm-hmm. to a little story that's very focused just on themselves, mm-hmm. um, because that's more fulfilling, more life-giving. Absolutely. And scarier. I think that's what we'll talk a little bit about today. Yeah, it is scarier. So um, I feel this pull. Uh, I don't know if it's culture or you know my growing up or just my personality towards safety and security and feeling like that's what I should be offering our family and our boys. Yeah. Um, and I do think there is some truth, like this idea of security and peace and safety, that they should feel that emotionally, uh, physically in, in our home yeah. uh, and with me and with you. Uh, but I think I get pulled too far that way to where mm-hmm. I want to avoid risk, um, certainly in their life, and want them to not feel pain. Mm-hmm. Is that Would you say that you feel similarly, or are you more like, let's do it, let's tell a story and go go get it? Yeah, I don't know. I I do have a personality that is more like, yeah, kill it. Like, let's go live it and do it and kill it and then What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, what's the worst that could happen? Let's talk our way through it and we'll be fine. Whereas I'm like, oh, I know what the worst could happen. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a terrible thing. (laughs) And I have all those scenarios listed in my head. And that's why you're going to wear all the pads possible as you walk through life. Um, I have this like visual of a Christmas story. Like if our kids could live in that little snowsuit that feels very Uh, padded, you know, where the arms don't go down, I think you'd be thrilled. Like, Sadly, I would. I would hate myself and I would feel safer. Yes. And so, um, and I, I definitely lean more toward like, man, just wear your underpants and have a great time, you know? Um, so skin your knee and it's going to be all right. So, um, but I do, but if I'm really honest with myself, I think what I worry about, um, in, in this thought is that our kids will end up in counseling saying my, my parents risked too much or pushed me too hard or didn't watch over me well enough. Um, and so out of that fear, I, I tend to pull back and worship security and safety and peace in the way that I understand it and can control. Yeah, that's interesting. I was reading a novel recently that uh, I'm hoping you'll read at some point called Watch Me Disappear. It's really good. Oh, um, it's on my nightstand. I'm ready. But, like, I couldn't put it down. Uh, but part of the backstory is there's a mom and dad and a daughter who's, like, 15, and the relationship between the mom and the daughter is that the mom essentially wants the daughter to be like her and more, like, whimsy, full of whimsy and kind of risk, and, and but the daughter's more like the father. Huh. And more calculated and maybe thoughtful about things. Uh-huh. Um, and the daughter sort of internalizes that she's should be more like her mom and she's not. Hmm. Right. And so what you just described, and this could be true of any topic we talk about, but in the world of kind of taking risks and telling a bold story, but also what kind of security or safety or comfort or peace or rest one needs really does vary child to child and it doesn't match up. Sometimes it does. Sometimes that matches up identically to a, a parent where, like, one parent and one child or one parent and the children will have a very similar temperaments. Yeah. But we really need to be on the lookout for that and not assume. Because I think we have one kid who in a lot of ways is like me, and I've always assumed that he would be cautious like me. Hmm. And as he is getting older, I've realized, oh, he is much more like you 
wanting to take risks, try new things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't, I need to just like see him for who he is and not be like, Oh, he's like this, whether it's like, I think he's like me or like you or like someone totally different. And so I'm going to treat him like that. Uh, so just, it it struck me when you were talking about this idea of like, we don't want to push our kids too hard. We don't want, and I, and I would say, I don't want to pigeonhole them either and say, I know what you want or think or like, but in all those areas, we want them to be telling a meaningful story, living out an exciting story, but it should be meaningful and exciting for them. Right. Not for me. Yeah. And I will. And I think actually in some ways we have an opportunity as parents and it's our job to show them this is what a story looks like. This is what a story feels like. Taste it. You're going to love it. Um, because the time that they actually have with us is relatively short. And so, um, and I'm not suggesting that you take a kid who is like freaked out by the world and put them into really risky situations. Um, what I am saying, however, is to see your kids really well and to let them feel um, that feeling of like um, stepping outside of safety and security, all of like emotionally, physically financially and letting them feel the rush of thinking outside of themselves what it feels like to serve someone in need and it's and it's hurtful and painful and hard and messy and I think in the context of this weekend we've talked with um, a woman who is teaching the training and she was talking about her kids and how she invites foster kids in and um, and it's beautiful like she is like she and her husband are they're making the decisions for the family And they're saying, this is what we feel called to. This is the mission that we are on to love kids in a hard place. Um, Come along with me. It's sort of like this invitation. And she was telling us the story today that one of her daughters, who was a senior in high school, said, I can't. Like, I don't want to do this anymore because I want you. I miss my mom. And her response was not like, okay, let's pull back you know, one of our kids is freaked out or this isn't good for our family anymore. But rather her response was to see her daughter really well and to say, what do you need from me? Like, what are the things that you really need from me over the next year? Um, And she received that and said, I think I can do that. Like, those are the things I can accomplish. And we're still going to live out our calling. We're still going to live out this big story of foster care. And it was just this beautiful way of seeing her child really well saying, yes, I can see that you need X, Y, and Z for stability, putting some parameters around that and saying, but I still want you to taste and feel what this story is like because you're not the only child affected here. There are lots of kids who need um, our family. Yeah. So, And that's anyway. true without getting into foster care. Right? Like when we have three kids. Most people who have multiple kids, there's a certain level of negotiation and service towards each other. And sacrifice that we make because everybody in the house has needs. And so we work together as a team. And I think when we talk about this idea of big stories and small stories, we're tempted towards believing that I'm the protagonist of my story and my story is the most important story. You feel like you're the protagonist of your story and your story is the most important story. Our kids feel the same thing. And so part of what we're doing with their time in our household is drawing them into a bigger story, which is you're part of a family, right? And mm-hmm. we're doing these things. And sometimes we're doing stuff 
that's just about you, or sometimes you're doing stuff on your own that's just about you. But even in those stories, if you will, or that world, you have people around you. And so moving from I got to just take care of myself and keep myself safe financially, uh, emotionally, physically, um, and get what I need mm-hmm. um, to my part of my story, and maybe the, the best part of my story, is that I get to positively impact all these other people around me. Yes. And that may be, as we talked about many episodes ago, talking about Argo, like that might be four people in your whole life that you impact, but you meaningfully impact them. Some people are just gifted or temperamentally differently, and it could be 4,000 people <laughs> right. that they have a real meaningful p- personal experience or impact on. But whatever that is, that's not the point. The point isn't how many people are you impacting. It's that how much are you looking to love people around you well, to enter into their lives, their suffering, their joy, celebrate with them, commiserate with them, right. and, and serve them. Right. And the truth is, like, I think our culture tells us you are going to feel really peaceful when everything's put together, when you're very safe, when you're very secure. But it is a big, fat lie. Like, what we're made to do is to impact and to be um, in people's lives and to be affected by people. We are relational beings. That's what sets us apart as humans, you know? And even in our... um, I mean, I I don't even want to go in this, but even like, even animals need friends, you know. Like, but we no. The socially awkward dog <laughs> does. <laughs> I feel like I just like entered a bunny trail that I don't want to go down. But I'm what I'm trying yeah. to say is like, we are distinguished by our relational capabilities, and so it is a shame to try to keep our kids from that relationship. And I think, you know, we I I joked about this. Um, that the title of this should be um, Childhood and Retirement Suck or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Like, I mean, I think that there's this American lie, and I think it's a modern culture lie in general for our listeners (laughs) around the world, like, that... We hear you, Mongolia. (laughs) What's up? Australia. (laughs) Yep, yep. Um, But what what the lie of our modern culture says is that... um, we should stay protected. Yeah, sorry. And, uh, so, to, oh, to, unpack, sorry. to unpack the, the retirement and childhood. Retirement That's where it. I was. Yeah, yeah, okay, so the retirement... <laughs> I lost track. That's why you're here. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of reasons, you're here. I like you <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but mainly <laughs> to make my story better, just, David. No, just to keep me on track. I'm like a rabbit. I go down all these stupid holes. Um, Squirrel. <laughs> But um, but yeah, thinking along the lines of retirement and childhood, they sort of have similar feels to me. There's this idea that like children and um, older people should relax. They should be safe. They should be secure. So a child obviously has their parents to take care of them for 18 to 20 years or whatever. And so they're financially secure. They're um, emotionally secure. Their physical needs are taken care of. And in retirement, we sort of think, oh, I'm done working I should have saved enough money or have had a 401k that is fully stocked that now I can just relax and I can kind of like not do anything. But it's not true. Like we shouldn't bookend our lives with these like non-impact things. Like because I think we die in those places. Yeah. and I die up, in those places. Yeah. Well, and it ends up where you have these bookends of just consumption, like entertain me 
keep me happy. Yes. Um, when you have so much to offer when you're 70 and you have so much to offer when you're seven, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I do want to just, because I'm the king of distinctions, like we're not saying that you should put your kids out and tell them to play in the street because it's more dangerous and you'll Wait, live a little bit. What? No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> and, no, no. And we're not saying they should be working in the mine when they're 12, right? No, But we're, what we're not. saying is that they have something to contribute yes. even when they're five or four or three. And it might be putting the silverware away, right? And But they have something to contribute, and over time they have more and more to contribute. And certainly by the time they're teenagers, they have something relationally, and they can do work that is meaningful inside the house or potentially outside the house depending on their schedule, and that their lives should not be built around what's going to make them the happiest exactly in the moment because that actually doesn't lead to happiness. Like giving, connection, uh, service, those are the things that really lead to real joy and we want to teach our kids that yeah. and they're going to go through stages of real selfishness and like college is a time where you're just like I do whatever I want and I remember yeah. that and it was great but I, if I still lived that way today I would feel terrible to be honest like I would have worse relationships I feel like I would have less of an impact on the world I would be doing less good yeah and to be honest I think that we have um, we have dumbed down relationships because we're not letting our kids like engage in conflict like what we talked about last week so we've sort of like removed all the risk in relationship and so we have um people who don't really want to date well like who are unwilling to put themselves out there and go on like five dates to see if it's a good match or um or to pursue really well or to respond really well i think relationally we when we put our kids into a really safe zone and don't teach them what it feels like to live a good story, they're going to miss out on some really dramatic relational benefits. Yeah. I'm glad we made it to date five because I think date two and three, <laughs> I was like a total moron. And somehow you came back for more. That's not true. But there was on one date, date two, you were, but not date three or one. I don't no, know. No, date one, I was charming. <laughs> I was amazing. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I could have got you to marry me then. Uh-huh. Isn't <laughs> no. that the one where you flicked a booger on me? Uh, we don't have to get into details. <laughs> it was on your leg. Can we tell that story? I mean, I don't really remember it very well. I remember Was that our it. first, that, no, our first date was when we met with a friend. It wasn't really a date, but our first like hanging out, we, you got stood up by someone and like a friend. Yeah. It just didn't make it. And so you joined me and another friend, a mutual friend of ours yeah. for dinner. So that, you would that's call that the time our I, first date? I, no, but I really killed it. I was charming <laughs> and engaging. <laughs> yeah. Except for you walked away from the table and I was like, he kind of bounces when he walks. Yeah, I walk like Tigger. But, and let's be clear, I was way more into you the first like month than you were into me. I think nice. about four to six weeks in, I, I w- worked my way in. <laughs> I think when I sent flowers to your grandma's house that when was, you were there, man, you were like, oh, this guy's move. weird and walks funny, but, you know, yeah. he's got good taste in tulips. <laughs> yeah, my grandma was like, oh, who is this special friend? I was like, nobody. <laughs> don't talk to me about it. I don't know. David Smith. I mean, anyone could be David Smith. <laughs> yeah. um, well, let right. me tell the booger flicking story really quickly. Come oh, on. Man. It's funny. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Bad service. We're going through a tunnel. Too much really snow. quickly, we went on a date, and you opened the door for me on my side. And as you were opening the door, I heard like a whistling booger, 
Um, and you just heard a whistling noise at first. You didn't know it was... No, I didn't know it was a booger until we... So I sat in the car. I buckled myself in. You got in on the other side, and you were, like, kind of, like, getting ready to start the car. And all of a sudden, I hear the whistling, I, the continued whistling. And all of a sudden, I hear that sucker break free. And I, like, look over, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And you're, like, searching on your chest to find where this booger landed. Trying to be discreet. Trying to be discreet. Trying to find where this thing was to take care of it. Anyway, I put my hand on my leg, and it was on my leg. Here's the best part. Your jean leg. Not my on jeans. Your, not on not your skin. my bare leg, no. <laughs> but it did get on As my hand. As if that makes it better. <laughs> I get it on my hand, and I, like, looked down, and I was like, oh, my gosh. But I liked you at that point, so I just wiped it on your seat in your car, and we just carried on like nothing happened. I told you, like, what, like a month or two later or something? Yeah. I think in front of your mom, and your poor mom was mortified. Oh. My life <laughs> is a series of moments where I mortify no. my mom with my grossness. <laughs> She's so disappointed in that part of my life. So anyway, now everyone knows now that you I'm gross. Story. Yeah. It wasn't. It just is an accident. Sometimes you get a whistly booger and the sucker breaks free. You know. Yeah, it does. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. And to me. Yes. <laughs> so I think this is the last point I want to make, and then certainly if you have more points you want to make, but um, one of the things as adults that draws us into what I'll call a small story, like a story that's too focused on ourselves, is our work or our jobs, mm-hmm. whether we're working outside the home or not, um, whether both spouses are, the whole deal. Um, because I think our culture communicates two poles that we're drawn to. One is I'm defined by my work, and so I have to pour everything in of me into that because that's everything about, like, what I produce is who I am. Well, and that's where there's, like, sort of a false impact, right? Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and then the other side is, like, work is evil or the man's holding me down, and so I'm going to give as little effort as possible and just live for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth is somewhere in between, which is producing things, doing good work is a good thing. We are made to produce. So even, like, I'm hoping that we can help our kids understand that if somehow they were blessed, if that's the right word, or cursed with, like, to be independent wealthy at some point, that they should still long to work and to do something. Maybe yeah. they, they would have the benefit of choosing what they do, but doing work and producing and adding value to people's lives is worth doing because it makes, it like makes us come alive, right? Yeah. Um, and so, but I want them to see work as a good thing that is not something that we worship. Uh, and so like one small thing, and this has stopped as our kids have gotten older, but I remember when they were a lot younger and I would be getting ready to go to work and they'd be like, why do you have to go to work? Um, and I was like, I was, I made a decision at some point to, to respond with, because that's what I was made to do. Mm-hmm. Even when there were days where I was like, I hate my job right now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, cause I just wanted them to believe that that's true. Like I am made to work even when it sucks and yep. even when I love it and it's awesome, you know, and the, to be fit, to be honest, like there are some days where I'm like, I can't wait to get to work cause it's easier than being home. Right. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> some days. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I think, um, work is a place where we can kind of get sucked in. And what I want our kids to see is that work is important because it's an opportunity to serve. It's an opportunity to make an impact. It's an opportunity to get positive feedback financially or through words of affirmation, which is important to me. Um, And all that is good, but it is not our 
sole place of purpose or meaning, relationships, our families, you know, hopefully someday their families if they choose to, to have them, mm-hmm. like those, their communities, their neighborhoods, those are places also to continue to engage and serve and tell exciting stories and take risks in relationship, take risks with their, you know, with who they hang out with and who they'll serve and who they'll let serve them and be in their yeah. home and all that. Yeah, exactly. I think that, what is that book by Donald Miller? Um, a Million Miles in a Thousand Years, I believe, is what you're... Yes, he's talking, he talks a lot about story and living a good story. And um, and it's not just the work, but it is the impact you have. Like, putting yourself in a situation and teaching your kids to go into situations where they're impactful, where they make a difference, where... And that doesn't mean that they, like, they're they have entrepreneurial mindset where they like create some system to feed the homeless or where like they're doing some crazy extravagant thing that gets picked up by some media channel or whatever. What it means is you're teaching them to engage in risky situations, either relationally or with physical needs of people. And it may be very small, but um, letting your kids engage in that is good and it helps them feel their impact. So they start, like, I think that the point, what I really want parents to know is that um, your kids, like, putting your kids in situations where they can taste and feel the thrill of impact and what they're made to be is important. Do not protect them from that. And um, this is the kettle Preaching, calling yeah. the pot black, you yeah. know? We're like, preaching to ourselves. Yeah, because I do think it is like I do continue to come back to where we started, which is this might end up with them in counseling at some point, like their entire college savings may end up on therapy, (laughs) you know, because their mom was like, go and adventure, be, be and do, you know? Yeah. But real security doesn't come from being safe all the time. It comes from facing challenges and overcoming those challenges. And when you're young in your home, you have your parents to walk through those with you. Like that's yes. part of it is like we're engaged with these adventures and these challenges and these relationships alongside them, helping them build those skills, being in their corner, being on their team. And so they can see bad things turn into good or broken things get fixed. They can see themselves do things they didn't believe they could do. Um, And when they fail, they have someone who loves them and who's on their side and who can help them learn from that, but also help them know like, it's okay to fail. And you, I still love you. And you don't want them learning that when they're 25 because it's a lot harder then. It's much easier when they're five and 10 and 15. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's like, when I think of parenting, that's what I think of. Like my job is to push them out and let them experience everything possible while they're under my roof and fully safe and covered. Because when they leave my house, um, I want them to experience the same things and, um, and have the confidence to do so. Yeah. And I'm going to jump on my dad soapbox that I do every once in a while. Here we go. Which is uh, what dads and husbands need to do. What I would challenge you is, one, ask yourself and really think about what's the story I'm living? And then, two, proactively go to your wife and be like, what's the story we're living? Man. And what's the story we want to live and what's holding us back? And then that connects to once you kind of know what you're living together, it's like, okay, well, how are we living that with our kids if we have kids in the home right now? And what's the story we want to be at? be telling and living out as a family and be proactive in that and don't wait for your wife to to 
tell you this is what we're going to do or don't just respond to what you think she's doing. Um, but be the, 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 the one who says, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's do it together. Let's be partners. I'm not going to put it on top of you, but I'm going to be the one who seeks out some clarity around that so that we can have a better story to tell together. Yeah. And I think that, um, even in the times when you've done that, just in our marriage, like even when you don't know the answer, to what our story is or where we're headed or ha- or even if you don't have tremendous clarity, the fact that you bring that to me and we explore it together, like the initiative and the pursuit in that makes me as a wife feel like, yes, I will get on board with whatever adventure we're going on because I love you and me together in a partnership. Yeah, and that's a good uh, clarification, which is, I'm not saying come to your wife with the answers. Just come with the questions. Yeah. Have those Ooh. conversations. I love your dad's soapbox. Preach it. <laughs> All right. With that, you want a TV themed stat of the week? Yes. You ready for it? Absolutely. Is it Parks and Rec? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want me to change it, it will be. <laughs> no, no, no. You do you. <laughs> <laughs> you do you. All right. To the stat of the week. Woo. All right, Rach. Rach. <laughs> Rach. <laughs> now when you say that in real life, like not when we're on the mics, I can't help but like say my own name. And it comes out weird sometimes when we're in groups. <laughs> like you'll be like, hey, Rach. And I'll be like, Rach. People look at me weird. I feel like <laughs> most of our interactions come out weird when we're in groups. <laughs> I think that's fair. So this is a small one. Uh, All right. This is coming from Wikipedia, which is not maybe not the best resource. but Can people still go in and change Wikipedia information? Yeah, they can. Okay. But there's a lot of editors like paying attention. So okay. it's like wisdom of the crowds kind of thing. Got it. That's helpful. So we're going to talk about the most watched broadcasts by average viewership. Um, so do you know, this, it's kind of like famous if you're of a certain age, which we are. Um, of a what, certain age. What the like biggest TV show, like sitcom or c- drama or whatever. Friends. No. It was actually. Really? Yeah. This is not necessarily my stat, but uh, MASH, the last MASH, which happened in 1983. In, in our generation, like our generation watched this? No, no, no. Just the most people. I said it was sort of like a well-known thing and because... You heard about MASH in the 80s and 90s, and that's yeah. when we were kids. Anyway, that was back when there was literally like five channels. And, and cable was just kind of coming out in the 80s. So there was 106 million people who watched wow. the very last episode of MASH in uh, February of 1983. Wow. So what's that, 37 years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, so, But here's, here's my first stat of the week okay. around this. So I looked this up on Wikipedia. It lists the top 20. Um, MASH is in the top 20. It is not the number one. It's actually number nine. How many of the top 20 do you think are Super Bowls? Wait, of like viewership? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know, five? Higher. Um, here, you're giving me a thumbs up sign. I was trying to be discreet because <laughs> people can't see to make you you're be like, oh, no, no, maybe I think not, it's higher. You're not married to discreet. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that right Yeah, now. your middle name is not discreet? Is no. That- <laughs> It's higher. It's much higher. Really? Like 15? Higher. No way. Out of the top 20? You would lose on Card Sharks, my favorite. 19? 19. No way. So MASH and then the other 19 are Super Bowls for viewership. 
That's right. Is I that what you're telling me? Yeah, I don't see the 2020 oh Super Bowl on here, so it might make it. I don't know. Because it was crap. Wow, you didn't like it? I thought it was... Well, no. Okay, so I judge the Super Bowl based on the halftime show. <laughs> you didn't like Shakira, Shakira, and uh, J-Lo? I... Okay, I love that they are strong women. I love that they are a little bit older than the average um, superstar right yeah. now. I didn't love the stripper stuff. Um, oh, the pole? Yeah. All right. I didn't love that. I didn't love, I don't know. I just feel like we have progressed as women beyond stripper poles. Um, And I would like to think so, but we resorted back to stripper poles, and I didn't love that. All right. I'll take that. Okay. It's a big, you know, it's like on Twitter and all the stuff. What's your memory of your favorite halftime show? Can you think of one? That you're like, oh, that was the best one? No, I can't even remember. Oh. Do you I don't know? Rem- oh, you know what one stands out the most is yeah. the um, Janet Jackson one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because of the I missed scandal. that moment because I was talking to someone. I remember mm. where I was, though. Really? Yeah, I was in uh, a friend's basement in Colorado mm. with a bunch of people. Um, I remember Michael Jackson back in the 90s. Yeah. But I also remember that he did his show, and then he wanted to talk, and they handed him a different mic. And so I don't know if it was because he was lip syncing or... <gasps> That was sort of funny, yeah. But he's, I mean, Michael Jackson's awesome, was awesome as a performer, not speaking about him as a... All the other junk. Yeah. Um, and then, this wasn't a halftime show, but Whitney Houston singing the national anthem. Oh, beautiful. So first of all, the Giants were playing in that Super Bowl. I guess, you love that. And so I was super excited. And then it was during the first Iraq war, and so it was like a huge patriotism boom. And she sang, and she's... She was phenomenal. It's just sad that she's gone, but she was unbelievable. Yeah. So what? Maybe one of the best voices ever. Yeah, hands down, she was amazing. I think that maybe I didn't pay much attention to when the Broncos were in the Super Bowl because I was in love with John Elway. You didn't pay attention? No, I mean I think I paid attention to the actual game, and so the halftime show, I was like, oh, I need to take a breath. <laughs> I'm so worried about John. <laughs> Well, he was in a lot when you were young. I know. Lost a few of those, but anyway. So 2015 is, at least according to this, had the highest viewership, the Super Bowl in 2015, which was New England, Seattle. um, And it was 114 million. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah, I don't see 2000. What was the halftime show then? Do you know? Oh, man. You're going to make me Beyonce. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Um, coin toss, Teddy Bruschi and Kenny Easley. Don't Announcers, care. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth. Don't care. Was John um, Elway there? Was he there? He probably was. I mean, he was probably at the game, but where's the halftime? Entertainment, boom. Pre-game, Adina Menzel, who you okay, love. Okay, I and love. And John Lend, she sang the national anthem. John Legend sang America the Beautiful. Lovely, man uh, of the year. Katy Perry would perform at the halftime and NFL confirmed the announcement on November 23rd, blah, blah, blah. And that was in 2015? Yeah. Okay, I do have actual distinct memories of that being the first Super Bowl party. Was that the party. baby, the left shark thing? The what? Do you remember left shark? No. Uh, All I remember is that was our son's first Super Bowl party that he was invited to, independent of us. Yeah. That And that felt weird. Um, anyway, and yeah. I went. I don't know that I was invited, but I went because I was freaked out about our son going to his own party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was left shark. What is, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'll post about. the video on the, the okay. group. As, it was what the, is Left Shark? There were like two sh- people dressed up in shark outfits during the performance. And I think one of them was like limp or something. Like he didn't like dance right. And he was the Left Shark. Oh, nah. I think so. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. There's surfboards and this <laughs> weird shark. They made a whole uh, sports center commercial about it. So anyway, 
Left Shark. Stat I'm going to look. I'll look for that on our Facebook, our Thank, Facebook group. Thanks for working on the farm, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you for working on the farm, Smith. All right. Stay warm out there. See ya. See ya. <laughs> I mean, check ya. <laughs> so organic. <laughs> All right, y'all. Talk to you soon. Check ya. <laughs>